Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the latest developments in a high-profile Crookston priest sex abuse case, the firearms deer hunting season, and TV icon William Shatner comes to Minnesota. But first, Minnesotans were riveted this week by a harrowing story of a man on a crime spree covering several cities and ending in the man's suicide after a shootout with police. Officials say 34-year-old Noah Erickson kidnapped a woman in Maplewood and drove her vehicle to her St. Paul home, where he tied the woman and her roommate up and sexually assaulted the roommate. Then, Erickson stole another vehicle and drove to Cottage Grove, where he took a family hostage at gunpoint. He then left, stealing another vehicle before exchanging gunfire with police. That's when officials say he turned the gun on himself. The Pattersons, Craig and Lisa, and two of their daughters, were the family held hostage. Craig describes what he saw when he woke up Monday. It felt like I was walking into a movie scene. Um, and it was over so quick, um, but it felt like it was a half an hour, and I think I probably only had maybe three or four minutes of um, time with the gunman. I I was in my bedroom, and I was uh, half awake, and I heard loud talking on the main level with what I thought was a friend of ours that stopped by who does that unannounced from time to time, and my wife was talking loudly. Um, he's kind of a jokester, and uh, it wouldn't be uncommon for her to be laughing at what he says, and he talks real loud. So that's what I thought it was at first. So I uh, got up, and I put on my robe, and I opened the door, and all, right when I opened the door, I, could, I, I knew that it wasn't him because I hear yelling, and she said, that's my husband. He's coming down the stairs. Please don't shoot him. He, he doesn't have a gun. We don't own a gun. Please don't shoot him. And I got to the top of the stairs from our bedroom door at that moment, and I saw my wife at the bottom, and she was just frantically pleading for my life. And I looked out around our front door. There's glass around our door, so I can see real clear as far as what's going on outside of our house. And we have a shot of the street as it comes into our cul-de-sac. The, uh, the, there was just it, it what seemed like 30 vehicles parked out there and officers with assault rifles uh, pointed at our house. And all at that moment, the scope of what was happening was very clear to me that, holy moly, we're, we're, we have a gunman in our house. The gunman asked Craig if there was a quiet place in the home where he could go think for a minute. And he took the gun off of me after this conversation, realizing that I wasn't a threat, I believe, and puts the gun to the side of his head. And he says, I'm going to die today. And I said, no, it doesn't have to be that way. And I said, we can, you can put the gun down and we can walk out the front door together and this will end. And there was maybe a five-second pause and he turned out of our dining room walked out into the kitchen, and me and my wife are in the front of our house by ourselves during this time, just looking at each other like, what do we do right now? And we just stayed there, and maybe another five seconds went by, and we heard him go into our mudroom area and then out into the garage. And we heard the garage door slam, 
at that point, I ran up the stairs, and I told the kids who were already awake, Emily and Hannah were home, two of our four daughters, and I said, there's a gunman in the house. We need to get out now. And they were up and ready to go and dressed because they had heard and made out what was going on because their bedrooms are closer to the stairwell that goes up, so I think sound travels better. And we ran down the door, ran out the front door, or ran down the stairs, ran out the front door, and there was just SWAT and police everywhere with guns drawn, and they just started yelling, run, run, run. Lisa Patterson was the first to confront Erickson, and she says in the days since... Honestly, it's, um, you know, even just waking up yesterday um, in the whole aftermath of it all, and um, sadness is really what has, you know, transpired from all of this. And, you know, even before we knew... Um, anything about him himself or, you know, his background or anything like that. It, you know, it's just a, a sad feeling because, you know, as blessed as we feel to come out of this, you know, with our lives, you know, we weren't, you know, a little emotional scarring maybe, but, you know, we are, we're all safe. And that's the most important thing, of course. But, you know, and there's still a life lost here and, you know, I, I connected with him in that very brief moment, you know, as a parent and just, you know, could kind of just, you know, I, I certainly understood his pain and um, it, it just really broke my heart in that moment. And, and so, you know, knowing that, um, you know, he was deceased after it just, you mentioned talking about different roles that uh, family members played in the situation, and I'm wondering if you have a perspective on what your role was that day. I mean, obviously, it's got to be very fresh in your mind. It might be hard to have a perspective on it, but what would you say your role was on Monday morning when uh, when, when this man uh, broke into your home? <laughs> yeah, that question has certainly gone around and around and around, and so many people have just, you know, told me that the calm demeanor I kept through the whole, you know, five minutes I was with him, you know, maybe calmed him down enough, maybe just gave him a friendly face, um, you know, just a, a moment of peace in the agony of, of his of his conflict that he was fighting in himself. You know, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, and there's going to be so many questions that we'll never have answers to, but uh, maybe I, I, you know, people have said maybe your role is just to be there to just give him that last few minutes of peace before his life ended. And maybe just a little reassurance that you know, even just to tell him that he had options, you know, even though he didn't take them, you know, maybe it's just another voice to tell him. So I honestly don't know, and I will, I think we'll all wonder, you know, what what do we take from this, and um, what's the message to be learned from all this? You know, those are the kinds of questions we've all asked, and what do we take from it going forward? And you know, so many other people have said just, you know, that's how to carry your life is just be calm and 
you know, take what comes to you in that moment and just deal with it and carry on. The Pattersons say the support they've received from friends, family, and strangers in the days since the incident has been overwhelming. They're extremely grateful. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to The Dog Show. Up next, we have Satchmo. Satchmo is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right, a group known especially for their couch-snuggling, ball-chasing, face-licking, tail-wagging, backyard-hanging, and, of course, companionship. And what breed would you say Satchmo is? I'd have to go with maybe a lavish terrier-hound chihuahua-looking kind of mix. Tremendous dog. Mm, I'd also like to point out Satchmo's coloring, a white, gray, brown, black brindle, simply marvelous. You know, it's such a treat to watch a dog like this. Now, let's see him in action. Look how he makes eye contact with his person. That's actually known as the treat stare. How intuitive. And now he appears to be excitedly turning in circles. Ah, the happy dance, so common with this group. And finally, the loving face lick. It's great how he just gets in there and, well, licks. Fantastic. But really, the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Satchmo is to meet one. Visit theshelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Minnesotan Jeff Anderson, one of the leading attorneys in the country in the fight to root out priest sex abuse in the Catholic Church, this week released depositions taken in a high-profile case involving Crookston Bishop Michael Hepner and called for his removal along with that of Buffalo, New York Bishop Richard Malone. MNN's Bill Werner is here with the report. Scott, to try to be as accurate as possible in reporting this, I'd like first to play excerpts from one of the depositions that Attorney Anderson took from Bishop Hepner in late 2018 regarding three cases. The one we will focus on today deals with allegations by Ron Vosick, who says as a child in the early 1970s, he was abused by a priest, Monsignor Roger Grunthaus, who remained in the ministry for decades until his retirement. Here are excerpts from that deposition. Bishop Exhibit 15 is uh, from you uh, to Jennifer Hasselberger, a former uh, chancellor in Kirkston, but now in the Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis, responsive to uh, Grundhouse wanting to do work in the Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis. And you are responding to an inquiry about Grundhouse's fitness, correct? Uh, yes. And uh, you represent to the Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis, that Grundhouse is a person of good moral character and reputation, correct? Correct. And you represent that you know of nothing which would in any way limit or disqualify him from ministry, correct? From this ministry, yes. Wouldn't the accusation Ron, Ron. Bosick made to you? his lips to your ears that Grundhouse had abused him as a teenager disqualify him from ministry? Mr. Vasek asked for complete confidentiality and did not want to bring forward an accusation and I respected that. You write uh, to the Archdiocese and Chancellor Hasselberger, I am unaware of anything in his background which would render him unsuitable to work with minor children. That's a lie, isn't it? Objection argumentative. You don't have to answer that. That's a lie, isn't it? Counsel, can you rephrase in a non-argumentative way? That's not the truth, is it? I'm respecting the confidentiality. Is that the truth, sir? 
I'm respecting the confidentiality. Here is Ron Vosick at this week's news conference at the Anderson and Associates Law Offices in St. Paul. Bishop Heppner called me to his residence, has me a paper he states was written by Monsignor Fultz, and coerced me to recant my allegation by threatening my son's priesthood. Problem solved. Well, it wasn't. One thing that I've heard from all the survivors I've spoken to was what they wanted was the truth told, men held accountable, and their beloved church healed. This is my hope and prayer for the church I still love. Even though I've been abused by men in the church, men have abused me sexually and spiritually. My son was mistreated, had to move out of the diocese. And my family has been through a lot with all of this. We have not lost our faith. Jesus, Jesus ordained 12 men at the Last Supper. Before you get one bishop, would betray you. This is still happening. My faith is not in men, but in my Savior, Jesus Christ. The Diocese of Crookston, in a written statement issued this week, said, quote, In addition to making available for public release the names of all clergy who have worked in the Diocese of Crookston at any time who have been credibly accused of child sexual abuse or possession of child pornography, the Diocese also agreed to make available for review and publication by Plaintiff's Counsel all documents on Fathers Roger Grundhouse, Patrick Sullivan, and Joseph Richards. The statement goes on to say, quote, also, in a good-faith effort, the Diocese of Crookston agreed to obtain a signed written statement from each and every clergy person working in the diocese, bishop, priest, or deacon, acknowledging the following. They have received a copy of the Diocese of Crookston Code of Conduct. They understand their responsibility as a mandatory reporter. They have never abused a minor, and they have no knowledge of child sexual abuse by a priest, deacon, or employee within the diocese that has not already been reported to law enforcement and the Diocese of Crookston. The statement concludes by saying, Bishop Hepner has fully cooperated with the preliminary investigation supplying the materials that were sought. We await a response and remain hopeful that justice will prevail for all impacted by this action, unquote. Archbishop Bernard Hebda said this week in a written statement, quote, Last week I submitted my report regarding Bishop Hepner to the Congregation for Bishops in Rome. That report includes all investigative information gathered, as well as summaries, analysis, findings of fact, and recommendations. Final resolution of this matter will be determined in Rome. The next step in this process is for the Congregation for Bishops to determine what other actions, if any, are necessary to reach that resolution. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. It's a big weekend for hunters across the state. It's the opening of the 2019 firearms deer season. MN's Tasha Radel has more. That's right, Scott. For many hunters, this weekend is considered an unofficial holiday. It's a great opportunity to spend time with friends, family, find adventure outdoors, and put venison in the freezer. Joining me now is Barb Keller, the DNR's Big Game Program Leader. Barb, let's talk about how many hunters will be taking part this season. Well, we have roughly 475,000 firearms deer hunters. 
we expect that most of them are going to participate in opening weekend. And then another thing, you know, I wanted to talk about, obviously, hunters are always watching the forecast really closely. And uh, how are things looking this year? And what's the deer population looking like? Well, I'm I'm sure that it's going to vary quite a bit throughout the state, um, but it looks like we're going to have fairly good weather. Um, I've heard that uh, wind speeds should be low, which is really good for hunters. Um, And hopefully they won't they won't uh, get bested by the deer um, smelling them in their stands. And uh, our deer population seems to be doing pretty well right now. Uh, We're on the upswing in much of the state. And when we look at this year's hunt, was there any major regulation changes across the state? Our, uh, yeah, our biggest regulation changes affect those areas that are in our chronic wasting disease management zones. So hunters who hunt in southeastern Minnesota or in the central portion of our state near the Brainerd area and um, in, in and around Meeker County uh, should definitely be aware of what the regulations are concerning whether they need to get their deer sampled um, and then whether they can take their deer carcass outside of the area that, that they hunt because we do have carcass movement restrictions. And so hunters need to be aware if that affects them. If it does, they can still quarter their deer or bone out the meat and bring it out of that area. But the risky parts of the deer, uh, which are the brain and the spinal column, need to stay within our CWD management zones. And then another thing, you know, this time of year, it's always a sea of orange out there blanketing the state and safety always comes to the forefront. Uh, Any last minute advice for folks? Yeah, definitely. Be sure of your target and uh, know what's beyond your target. Um, that's that's really important. Um, n- let your family members know where you're going. Um, there's going to be a lot of hunters who are going to encounter some um, some flooded roadways. Um, so just be aware of that. If you haven't um, scouted out your your the area where you hunt yet, um, you may be thwarted by some some flooded roads or um, flooded uh, stands. And, you know, I always like to remind people, some people this time of year can't believe um, how many deer are taken uh, opening weekend, but this is really the most effective way to control the deer population and and management. Is that a fair thing to say? Yes, exactly. Um, Deer hunters are our primary tool to manage the deer populations. Certainly we do have some areas of the state where we we do do still have large predators, uh, primarily wolves and bears are the, the main predators of deer, uh, but much of our state, those species are no longer present. And um, if, we, if we don't have hunters to control the deer population, they, they may um, increase to, to a, a rate where we do start to have problems with deer vehicle collisions or with um, deer getting into farmers' crops or um, even people's yards. And finally, I, I keep fibbing. I have one more question. When we look at the average age of, of hunters this weekend, do we track that data? Yeah, we do keep track of um, our hunting population demographics and uh, the age of our hunters. And it is something that we're concerned about because the majority of our hunters are constituted of the baby boomer generation. And as they continue to age, uh, we're going to see some of them fall out of the sport. And we're really um, concerned with replacing them with uh, new and, and young hunters so that we can continue to have the deer hunting tradition here in our state. All right. Well, lots of good information. Barb, anything else you'd like to add today before I let you go? Nope. Just wish all the hunters uh, good luck this weekend. Thanks again to my guest, Barb Keller, the DNR's Big Game Program Leader. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Up next, my chat with TV legend William Shatner when Minnesota Matters returns.
Adopt US Kids presents multiple choice parenting. Your daughter just had her first breakup. Do you A, put yourself in her shoes? How could he do this to you? And for Sheila, she, she has split ends. B, console her. Oh, sweetie, this is going to happen a lot. Four, maybe five more times before you get married. C, take charge. Got to get this all straightened out. Keep a little talking to, man to man, mano a mano. Hey, Steve. Is now a good time? No? Okay, no problem. Bye. Or D, help her find a new boyfriend. I know a great place to meet boys. The internet. Nice, single boys. Never mind. How about some ice cream? As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit adoptuskids.org. A public service announcement from the US Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids and the Ad Council. Space, the final frontier. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. William Shatner is an iconic TV actor, Emmy winner, author, recording artist, and of course, he was Captain Kirk on Star Trek. Shatner is appearing at GalaxyCon in Minneapolis this weekend, and I had a chance to talk with him about a life and career that has gone like no other has gone before. You've got a pretty diverse resume. It seems like you've been an explorer as much in your real life as you were as Captain Kirk. How long have you had that uh, that need to explore, and where do you think it comes from? Well, I don't know. Um, the, the overriding emotion, uh, and the older I get, the more more pointed the emotion becomes is the curiosity about things uh, the world offers. Uh, There's so much out there that we don't know and so much there to be explored and so much to be seen and experienced and we in a lifetime you can't do it all but you can strive uh, which is what I'm doing so uh, I want to taste life as fully as I can until I can't. Your list of iconic roles is quite long, and I just want to touch on a couple of those roles, if you don't mind. Please. Uh, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, the Twilight Zone episode. You uh-huh. play an airplane passenger who thinks he sees a creature on the wing. Right. It's still a scary episode. A lot of it is you kind of selling the fear and the uh, the panic, but and the creature doesn't quite look as scary as it used to. <laughs> Uh, I'm curious what your <laughs> recollections of making that uh, classic episode of TV well, are. You know, you point at the creature. The creature is a Czechoslovakian acrobat in a fuzzy suit. And when I saw him uh, for the first time, I thought, my God, you know, he's, he's not aerodynamic. <laughs> <laughs> How is he going to stand on the wing of a jet plane? I mean, give the illusion. But. It's interesting what happens, because I thought, this is going to be the joke of all time. Uh, what have I done? And uh, But when you're able, when one is able to uh, uh, write or act or perform a, a, a basic human condition, like, for example, the fear of flying, I mean... Every time a plane lurches, except for an experienced pilot who themselves might look outside, what was that? Everybody uh, freezes for that moment, what's happening to the plane. Because you, there's a feeling, and justified in its way, of jeopardy. So you're always being jeopardized on an airplane. And, and, uh, and uh, so this object on the wing, uh, 
is tapping into uh, a basic human frailty, which is the magic of storytelling, because everybody releases the skepticism of the of the little thing on the wing and joins in on the story of uh, if we were meant to fly, we'd have wings. <laughs> What do you think that you were able to bring to the character of, of Captain Kirk on Star Trek that wasn't necessarily on the page? Well, I had just come off uh, three seasons of playing Shakespeare. Uh, and so there's, you know, the, the look of eagles in the, in the historical uh, heroes. And I think maybe I was looking at that that there was something about leadership, something about nobility uh, that I, I brought with me inadvertently. I wasn't thinking of. Is there an aspect of being part of Star Trek that you're particularly proud of looking back on it? You know, uh, we, uh, in this civilization, will never see the likes of Star Trek. It's an absolute st- uh, showbiz phenomena. Uh, there may be shows that last 55 years, but it certainly won't be in my lifetime. Uh, so we'd have to wait around 55 years to see <clears throat> if another show uh, had uh, that uh, kind of longevity. And it's still going, uh, and more, more are being added. We don't know how long uh, Star Trek uh, will last. Um, so uh, there's a great deal about Star Trek that I'm very proud of t- to have been, uh, you know, uh, starting it and and, uh, and accompanying it uh, as long as I have. Uh, so Star Trek is a is a point of uh, pride with me, not something I'm I'm uh, tired of. I'm enthused by it all the time. Uh, that's great to hear. Uh, you know, you did that uh, skit on SNL in the '80s where you right. told fans to get a life. Was that right. was that a turning point? I mean, was it more than just a skit, or or no, not necessarily? You know, uh, I, I had no idea that some people would take it seriously uh, because we all laughed. But it was meant uh, uh, as uh, a joshing humor, uh, and but you can. You can see from this convention, although they're not all coming to see Star Trek, there'll be a, a good number of them coming to see the Star Trek phenomena. Uh, and, uh, you know, Star Trek begat a lot of this science fiction f- uh, the, the world. And uh, and uh, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to go to a place like Minneapolis and see uh, 25,000 people turn out. And Mr. Shatner, in closing, what's the uh, what's the next thing that you plan to explore? I'll make an announcement in the next few weeks. It's something really startling, uh, I believe. In the meantime, I just finished a blues album, so that might be equally startling. <laughs> a very special thank you to my guest, TV icon William Shatner. He'll be appearing at GalaxyCon this weekend at the Minneapolis Convention Center. For more information, you can visit MinneapolisGalaxyCon.com. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station. MNN station.